0: Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal.
1: All right, y'all, my chickens. Today we are getting into a whole period of life. A whole mood of several decades. And I'm really excited about this episode and this conversation because one of my pet peeves isn't the right word because I'm not upset with people about this. I'm upset with society, (laughs) which is always the case. But one of the things that just breaks my fucking heart is how often women who are in midlife or middle age or honestly like 30 or 35, which is really has not been middle age since like the 1800s start having this thought pattern that their life is over, like that it's too late to change things, that their lot in life is chosen, they are who they are, and I find that that just gets worse and worse over time. Now, obviously, this is a thought pattern, so some people don't have it, which is awesome because I think there are amazing, incredible women of every age who are like starting new careers or learning new hobbies or creating new art projects or learning new sports or like starting to lift weights at 90 or just doing incredible kick-ass things, which is amazing and inspiring, I think. But I see so many women whose thought process is that it's sort of, they're over the hump, it's all downhill. And that is just so tragic to me. I was having a conversation with a woman I know the other day who is in her early 60s and divorced. And she was talking about dating in this way that was sort of like it's already too late for me to meet someone. My life is almost over. I was like, you, even if you live to just be 80, that's like 18 to 20 years of your life left. That's a huge amount of time. Think about all the shit that happened to you between when you were zero and 20, or between when you were 20 to 40, or between when you were 40 to 60. So much can happen in that time. And so to kind of declare that like it's already over for you is just a mindset that I think is going to contribute to feeling old and out of the loop in a negative way, right? I think there are incredible things that we can look forward to and celebrate about aging and getting older, especially as a woman. I give fewer fucks every year, and I cannot wait to give fewer and fewer fucks as I go forward. But we have to change the narrative and the thought process around that, because society tells women that, Essentially, once they are no longer in the prime of their supposedly fuckable or fertile years, then they don't matter anymore, right? Then it's just over. And that is some fucking bullshit. I'm not here for it. And I see so much how this is not a truth about the world. I hear one of the things I hear middle-aged women often say is that they feel invisible, which is also just fascinating because it's often based on things like, I don't get sexually harassed on the street by construction workers anymore, which is like the idea that what we have done to women's brains is teach them that being visible and valuable is indicated by being sexually harassed. And that if that's not happening, you are therefore invisible in a bad way. I mean, it's like we could have a whole episode just about the clusterfuck of that thought pattern. But if you're having it, that's not to blame you at all. That is how society is telling you. But the truth is when you believe you're invisible, you become invisible to yourself. And then you will be less visible to other people as well. And these are mindsets that can be changed. So if you are a woman in midlife or at any point in life, and this is resonating with you, I want you to make sure that you are on the waitlist for the clutch for the next time that we open to the public, which we only do twice a year. So we were open in April for about a week for folks to join. And then we've been digging in and doing amazing work with all of the chickens who joined in April. And then we are going to be opening up again this fall for about a week weekend really, for people to join again. Then we're closed again until next spring. So you're going to want to get on that wait list. And I want to address the question I get a lot, which is like, well, am I too old to join the clutch? Like, will there be other people my age? We have people everywhere from like 18, 19 year olds to women in their 70s. It's truly like an incredible generationally diverse place among many other forms of diversity. There are women in there. Of all ages. And there are women who are in there with their moms and with their daughters. Like it is just a really incredible community in that way. And so do not fear. You will not be the oldest one there. And if you were, that would be awesome. I hope that we have somebody who's 90 in the collection doing thought work soon. So if you want to get on that wait list, you want to text your email to plus one three four seven nine three four eight eight six one. That's plus one, three, four, seven, nine, three, four, eight, eight, six, one. And you don't need a code word or anything. You just text us that email address and you will get put on the wait list. Or you can go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash clutch, unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash clutch, and you'll get put on the wait list there. And when you're on the wait list, that means that you will find out the minute that we open up again for the public to join. And you want to be on that list because we don't stay open for very long. It's just a couple of days. so. You don't want to be missing it. All right, my friends, we are going to get into it with some of my students talking all about thought work and midlife. Let's go. All right, my chickens, if you were born, what, between like 19, 1960 and 1980, somewhere in there, I don't know. I mean, in my middle age, I'm 41. We are talking about midlife and middle age on the podcast today. So forget the year, it's a state of mind. If you identify, I think I've felt middle age since I was about 12. So if you feel middle-aged, you are middle-aged. So we will be talking with three of my students from the Advanced Certification in Feminist Coaching, who are amazing coaches in their own right, some of whom you may have heard on the podcast before, Jill, Karen, and Elizabeth. And I'm just gonna let them introduce themselves. And then we are gonna be talking about midlife, the socialization that we get around what it means to be middle-aged as a woman and how to unfuck it because a lot of it is fucking stupid. All right, why don't <laughs> we go? I hope you want to start us off, Elizabeth, just go alphabetically.
0: Yeah, sure. Thank you. I am so excited to be here today. So I am Elizabeth Sherman and I call myself a life and weight loss coach for women in midlife. And what I define as midlife is somewhere around 45 to 65, but For sure, the folks who I work with are women who are experiencing menopause or perimenopausal symptoms. And, you know, I call myself a weight loss coach, but what I really do is I help my clients move away from dieting and rigid rules and move more into listening to their own bodies, eliminate Mm -hmm. emotional eating if they want to, or stop overeating and create health habits that really make them feel good versus following someone else's rules.
1: Nice. All right, Jill, what about you?
2: So I, my name is Jill Angie and I am a running coach. And what I do is I help fat women over 40 start running. And a lot of the coaching that I do with my clients and with the folks that listen to my podcast and so forth is help them sort of undo all of the socialization that they've had throughout their lives that thin is the best way to be. And I kind of teach them how they can just sort of start running in the body they have right now, feel confident in the body they have right now, and just kind of say a big F you to the
3: patriarchy along the way.
1: (laughs) Awesome. And Karen?
3: Yeah, thank you for having us. My name is Karen C.L. Anderson, and I am a coach for women who want to take better care of themselves in the relationship they have with their difficult mothers. There's a lot of focus on Establishing and maintaining healthy boundaries, sometimes in an effort to avoid estrangement, not always. And the women who I work with generally are midlife women, you know, that 45 to 65 range. And over the years that I've been doing this work, I have really started to see how the difficult mother daughter relationships don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in the context of patriarchy and misogyny and white supremacy and all those fun things that we like to talk about in feminist circles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we are a fun time, feminist. <laughs> so I would love to start off by just hearing from each of you like what your perception of midlife was, at least before you got there, or even now that you're like, how are we socialized to think about it before we get to how we want to disrupt all of that? Like, what are we socialized to think about women who are Middle age or midlife, whatever that means to you. I'm sure when I was 15, I thought that 35 was middle aged, and like now I'm 40, and but I mean, I just love to hear from any of you kind of what you think the stereotypes are.
0: Yeah, so I'll start. I think that when I thought of midlife when I was a younger woman, especially in my 20s, I felt like there was nothing left to happen after age 30. Like
1: mm-hmm. youth
0: was where it was, and that people in midlife, yeah, I kind of knew like my parents had a life before me, but I really didn't think much about it or probably give it much credit either. And so you kind of see, or I saw people in midlife as actually not being relevant. And we'll be talking about that a little bit more today, but I think that that was whether I was buying into what society had fed me, or I really just saw that because they weren't up on pop culture, the things that I was interested in that therefore what did they have to contribute to the conversation?
3: Do you think that that was
1: equally gendered or more about women in midlife? life?
0: Oh, good question. I think it was probably equally gendered, although I probably had more respect for middle-aged men than mm-hmm. I did for middle-aged women. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What about the rest of you? So both of my parents were in their forties when I was born. So they were already kind of like squarely in midlife and all of their friends were that, that age as well. So it's kind of weird. I I don't remember thinking about, I was just like, there's me and then there's, all of these old people, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And my mom and her friends, like by the time I kind of became aware of their conversations and stuff, we're already talking about hot flashes. And mm. and I, for a long time, I was like, what are these hot flashes that everybody keeps talking about? It sounds terrible. And I didn't really understand what it was until I got older, but yeah, I think I agree with Elizabeth. I think that like, I didn't necessarily view the men as old. It was more the women. And I think it was from the way that my mom and her friends talked about themselves and they discussed aging a lot. Whereas the men were just like, yeah, like, let's go. (laughs) They didn't have any like concerns about aging. So it, it did feel very, very gendered. Yeah.
3: Conversely, I had a different experience. My mom had me when she was 22, which isn't super young given the times, but you know, she and my dad got divorced when I was two She married my stepfather when I was five, and then they got divorced when I was in college. And when I got out of college, my mom was in her early 40s and was like raring to go and have like fun, the fun that she didn't get to have when she was younger. And in hindsight, I see this now as like, this was not healthy. But when I got out of college, I I lived with my mom and we would go out to clubs and drink and meet men. And so like my view of that midlife was very different as well. My mom had a hysterectomy when she was, gosh, in her late 20s, I think. And so like the whole menopause thing really wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't really talked about much. So midlife, I don't know, I'm going to be 60 in a couple of months. And it's like, I feel like I'm beyond midlife in a way. Not really, but... I don't know. It's weird. I, and because I never had kids, it's sort of like, I don't know. It just sort of, it's all sort of flowed together.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'd love to talk about sort of what you all began to think as you started to approach that middle age and like what, I mean, I think for me growing up, my mother had me fairly young also, not as like 25. We did not do the going out to clubs part together. She had three <laughs> kids and then I think she had plenty of fun when she was younger. It seems like I feel like she She talks about like going to Grateful Dead concerts when she was 14 in New York City. So it's, I think she like got the fun part. She did that. But what I hear from so many of my clients, of course, is that like, and I think Jill alluded to this a little bit too, is that women are socialized to think like there's some age beyond which they become irrelevant, right? Which I don't think men are really socialized to believe. Like it's just, you know, we're relevant from when we're born till we die. And for women, even this idea of relevance, like that is something that comes up a lot when I, I find when I'm coaching women who are, in that sort of, I would say, I think people born in the last 20 or so years or 30 years don't necessarily think like 30 is that cutoff point anymore. Although I do feel like it used to be like, if you weren't, you know, married, well, it used to be, if you weren't married by 22, you were an old maid. And then if you weren't married by 30, and then, you know, I think now it's like maybe 40 more, but this idea of like, I think the things I hear are like, I feel invisible. I feel irrelevant. Right. Like, middle-aged women are just like the people that nobody wants to hear from, you know, you don't have anything to offer. Like there's so much, I think the stereotype of like a middle-aged woman is basically just like somebody who is dowdy and out of touch. Right. Mm. And just sort of like, so I'm just curious kind of what came up for you guys as you are, were, or approaching that age, did approach that age, move through that age. What did you see show up in your thinking?
0: Well, I think that men do go through a relevancy crisis as well. But I think it happens much later. And I've been thinking about this a lot, in fact, because I think that relevancy hinged on how we identify ourselves. And because women are taught our most valuable asset is our looks, when we change our looks, or I shouldn't say when our, quote, unquote, looks fade in midlife, that's when we go through this relevancy crisis. Whereas men, because they are thinking about their careers and their professions, they actually go through the relevancy stage and they go through retirement, for example. Mm. And so I think that men have it too, but it's for a completely different reason.
1: Yeah, and you can keep working in a lot of cases, whereas you cannot stop yourself from aging. But I, I think you're exactly right that the whole reason, this sort of like feeling of invisibility, the other side of that is feeling like, the reason you're visible is that people are attracted to you. So people are either hitting on you or catcalling you. Like I've coached so many women on being like, I didn't used to like catcalling and now I miss it because now I feel invisible because people are not sexually propositioning me on the street anymore because that's what women are taught visibility is, is being sexually importuned, (laughs) even when you don't want to be. Like that's how you know that you're like visible and you matter, right? So it's like such a place that we get all, you know, our, our socialization, I think, works against us because we're defining our relevance based on like, do random people tell me they want to fuck me even when I'm not interested, which is like an insane definition to be using.
0: Yeah. Oh, on, I Karen, remember when I was a young girl walking down the street, my sister pointing out to my mom that all of the men on the street were like looking at me. I was 13 mm-hmm. and I remember feeling that way when I was in my mid twenties, actually, that I wasn't getting the looks that I was getting wow. as
1: a younger woman. Which is really, I mean, that's a whole other thing. That's being, a whole other I'm, topic. I'm 23 yeah. and I'm over the hill because men are cackling 13 year olds on the street. <laughs> it's a horrifying concept. Karen, what were you trying to say?
3: I was going to say that I worked in New York city right out of college from like 1984 up through the late nineties You know, I counted on being catcalled. Like, I wanted it, and it happened, and it was great. I got married relatively late. I was almost 35 when I got married, and I've been working at home ever since. Something in this conversation that I think might be interesting to talk about is the idea of what the internet has brought Mm -hmm. to this relevance thing, because as you were talking about it, I was thinking about how I don't find my relevance so much in my looks or whether people are, you know, want to fuck me, as you said, but in my work and in being visible that way. And that's way more satisfying and fulfilling.
1: Yeah. And it's not inherently sort of timely. I mean, neither is sexuality, because people can actually be attracted to women who are over 30, but <laughs> your your work, right, is something that like you get to define and create. It's not something that is just sort of. Other people's opinion of you. Did you want? But to get
3: can you imagine? Time? Can you imagine our mothers or our grandmothers on the internet when they were our age, or you know, or younger, and they didn't have that, and so it's like, anyway, I don't, I don't really know where that was going to go. <laughs> Did you want to say something, Jill? It looked like you were. Well,
2: yeah, and kind of, I'm with you, Karen. And I think what I have found interesting, like comparing my own life in my fifties to what I remember of my mom when she was that age is how it was like, there was this belief that like, after you hit a certain age, you needed to just cut all your hair off and start dressing. Oh, yeah. like super
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And, and I'm looking at all of us like over 40, <laughs> you know, like all of us have long hair and- I'm literally the only one with gray hair. And it's just because, you know, last year I decided... You just okay, can't really see mine.
1: I have gray hair. <laughs> yeah, I don't
2: there dye my go. hair. You just there can't you go. See it. But I do think that part of it is the internet for sure, because it's kind of weird. I've always felt more connected to the generation that came, like, I guess, the millennial generation. You know, most of my girlfriends are millennials. Definitely my husband is one. <laughs> but i feel like i never got the message even though i got the message from my mom and her friends i never really got the message for me personally i feel like i never went through that process of you know getting married having children raising a family and so i almost feel like i got the the joy of sort of being an eternal teenager almost mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a weird feeling and so now i like i hit 50 and i'm looking around i'm like Wait, what? What happened? What? How did I get old? Because I'm still twenty something. I'm still waiting to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. And like that's been a really weird experience. I can see Elizabeth
1: and Karen laughing. Is I don't think, think I think that like it. because none of us in this call have children or well, except for me, like quasi whatever children you're involved with, somewhat parenting, but. I hear this from people who do also. Like, I think that there's like my grandmother, when she was 90, used to say, like, when I look in the mirror, I'm surprised I'm not 25 anymore. Like that, that's what she like expected to see somehow every time. And it was like, so I mean, I think everybody has this, even if they do Mm -hmm. do the more traditional, like get married, have children, have the white pig offense, whatever. There's this like disconnect between your internal experience and whatever age that you're sort of feeling of yourself coalesced around and like what you see in the mirror or what is on your birth certificate or whatever, right? And people like have different points there. But I'm also curious, I don't know, Josh, because I actually don't I know that you work with fat women now, but I don't know what your history is. But I think for me I always felt like as somebody who was in a fat body for most of my adult life and my childhood life, like I was always kind of like, okay, well, my relevance has never come from being catcalled on the street. You know, like that that was this actually like positive side to that was that like, well, I had to figure out how to like myself and feel confident and feel sexy in this body already when society was telling me not to. So I'm not that worried about aging. Like if I can do it about being fat, I can do it about having... Wrinkles or gray hair, like that's nothing, you know, like, and I'm not dismissing the ageism in our society. I just mean, in terms of like how hard that work was to do, I'm kind of like, okay, I know how to do that. So, like, fine, bring it on. Also, my fat body will be less firm and I'll have to manage my mind about it. Like, fine. And I do think there's that sort of like to me, that was always one of the silver linings was kind of like, okay, well, I've never been able to base my self esteem on like how much, you know, cat calling happens on the street or. I think, I'm just curious, Jill, what your, I don't know, I don't know your kind of whole history of body size and how you feel about that, but I do think there's a benefit to it as you get older of having to have done that work beforehand, as opposed to like, if you fit the conventional beauty ideal, and then all of a sudden you like seem to age out of that. And now this like big thing you depended on for validation is now missing.
2: Yeah. I actually hadn't really thought of it that way, but when I was much younger, you know, one of my sister's, ex-husband's friends kind of hit on me in a real creepy way when I was, I don't know, like 12 or 13. I really wasn't like, I wouldn't consider myself a fat person until I was in college, even though while I was in high school, I thought I was terribly fat with my 25 inch waist, right? Fucked up. That's fucked up. In and of itself, but but yeah, the catcalling and like the attention from men. I think like as I gained weight in college, it sort of stopped, and so then I entered the workforce, and I did have like a few years where I got a lot of attention from men. I gained weight, the attention stopped, and I did have to figure out okay, well then what's my what is my self worth based on? And I was like, well, obviously, it's going to have to be based on my brains because, <laughs> right, like society doesn't like my body. Like, it definitely took many, many years and a lot of thought work. But I think that you're right. That made it a lot easier to accept the aging process because. I'd already accepted the fat. And I think like last year was a big decision for me to just to stop coloring my hair and let all the gray come in and a lot of thoughts about it. But I eventually kind of got to the place where like, all right, well, gray hair is kind of just like cellulite. It's just a circumstance. It's just a human body feature bug, whatever you want to call it. And I'm cool with the cellulite. So I'm just going to be cool with with the gray hair. And that has been very, very freeing. But Yeah. The whole male gaze thing that has not really been my experience for the vast majority of my adult life.
1: (laughs) I think we should also make sure we touch on the sort of ageism that happens around women, middle-aged women who are in like a more traditional workforce, right? I mean, we all now do our own, like, I don't have to worry about my boss discriminating against me because I'm a middle-aged woman because I am my boss. So whatever, however, I'm making my own life difficult. That's not why there's this sort of double bind that women experience in the workforce sometimes where if they're young, they're not taken seriously because they're young and sexually attractive. And then if they're older, they're not taken seriously because they're seen as being like out of touch and sort of middle-aged women are seen as, you know, being out of touch or not leaders or not on the cutting edge or not able to deal with technology, like whatever. I'm curious if you guys, I mean, I know none of us are really exactly executive coaches or workplace coaches, but like see this come up with your clients, like how can women, use thought work to kind of cope with that double bind with those stereotypes?
0: Yeah. So I actually do some consult work with a pharmaceutical company that's doing menopausal coaching with their employees. It's actually pretty cool. And well, I see it a lot with my clients through them is that they have all of this stress and they're equally concerned about getting laid off Mm -hmm. and then not being able to find an appropriate job. Whereas, you know, that is true for men as well, but it seems especially true with women. And so, you know, coaching them around the idea that, okay, so let's say that this does exist. How do you want to think about it? Or how do you want to respond and helping them through that process?
1: Yeah. It feels like it's a perfect example of a thing where there is just actual discrimination happening that we need to grapple with and that needs societal fixes. And certainly if you go into the job process thinking no one will hire me because I'm old, you're going to have a harder time of it, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I see even just in my kind of social media life and people that I'm tangentially connected to who aren't coaches, you know, posts about like, okay, I want to get my appearance touched up in this way because I have to go on the job market. So like, maybe I need to get filler, or maybe I need to get this, or I have to like change my appearance to like try to counteract ageism. And I don't know I think for my money the like the better money there is like on coaching to change the way you're thinking about this process so that you can go into it in a more you know confident and compelling way.
0: Well and I think that also what happens a lot is that women in midlife create second careers like being coaches or like being mm-hmm. yoga instructors or whatever and then Because their their partner is potentially established and they don't have to worry about finances. And so they do this second career, this hobby career. And I know that when I kind of did that, because I was in the corporate world for a while and then moved into personal training and nutrition coaching. And when I did that, getting that knowing glance from other people being like, how's your little business? Mm -hmm. Right? And like putting that down as kind of a oh this is just a stopgap measure while you you know still take care of your partner.
1: Yeah, and I think we should also obviously that's the experience that one segment of the population is going to have, yeah. and obviously not everybody's got a partner. That's gonna yeah, that's a
0: them. that's a hetero
1: population and an upper class. I mean, that's like a middle to upper class experience, right, where you have one income that can sustain the family, so somebody else can have like a hobby business or second career. But I think this sort of connects to something else that we we talked about, which is part of the reason that women in midlife have all of these concerns or end up looking for new jobs or whatever is because they take time out to raise their children, if they have children, right? And then they have to reenter the workforce. I think this is an interesting group because none of us have had children by choice. I mean, all of us are childless by choice. None of us had forced children. That didn't <laughs> sound right. Childless by choice. And I think you know both Karen and Jill have alluded to this like weird feeling of like, is this midlife? I don't know. There's no, like, I don't have this marker of like, well, my children are going off to college and now I'm an empty nester. So I'd love to hear more about kind of that thought process. Yeah. Karen.
3: Well, I do have three stepkids and I don't know if that matters. I think it does matter because my stepchildren are all adults and two of them have children of their own. And so I am a grandmother and I've had to coach myself a lot. (laughs) Mm. around this and get coached on it actually, because it's like, well, you know, I don't really want to be a grandmother, mm. but for the longest time, I thought that I'm supposed to want that. Mm. And I, I am that and I've learned how to just be Karen or boo-boo as they call me and not have it be like the stereotype, mm.
1: but it's it, interesting. But
3: it, a few years ago. I want to say it was around 2018 I really started to see and catch myself in how I was people-pleasing, especially my stepdaughter, and how that was. it was coming from this place of like, oh, I'm supposed to be this kind of woman or this kind of grandmother. And I'm like, I didn't want to be that Mm -hmm. kind of person. I don't like taking care of people. That's just the way it is. And it's like once I owned that, it's like I could then show up with them as myself and they get the best of me you know and so it's it's much better but like unpeeling that people pleasing thing which all of us have been socialized to do right and to take care of others dissecting that for myself was super helpful
1: i feel like if there's an identity that's really stereotyped it's the grandmother it's like not even i mean one of the things that we talked about before this episode and that we should talk about now is that there's like the competing stereotypes in midlife. Like you're either frumpy or you're like a sexually rapacious cougar. But if you're a grandma, <laughs> you only get one option. Like you like, there's only one stereotype, which is to be like motherly
3: and make cookies
1: and well, you know, like whatever it is.
3: I mean, I know, I know some women out there. There's a woman I know who calls herself glamma and she's oh, very, I've seen her
1: Instagram,
3: but yeah, none of it. I don't know. Again, it's like at the time when my grandson was born, he's 11 now. And I got to witness his birth. And that was one of the, I think it was probably the number one most powerful experience of my life was watching him be born. But I, I, I remember feeling this sort of internal, like, okay, I have to define myself. I have to like, find my grandmother niche, mm. you know, and, and, it, and I didn't have to.
1: Yeah, it's so and, important, because that's part of what we're talking about here, right? Is that as with everything, women are given like two completely contradictory options, you know, right. It's you, you, can be like a virgin or a whore. You can be like a homemaker or an executive. You can be a, you know, a cougar, or you can be a frumpy out of touch, whatever. Right. And, or you can be like sexually virile, or you're post and who cares? You're never having sex again. Like there's all of these stereotypes that don't reflect the actual lived reality of women's lives, of course, which is like much more complex and subtle.
3: And there are so many different ways to be a grandmother or, you know, a woman in a child's life, oh, right? I mean, there's just so many, I think that's the thing when we sort of conceiving this whole idea was that it is so much more than just this or that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm So I'm curious, sort of, obviously we're trying to cover a lot, but one of the other like big tensions that women in midlife often experience that you guys talked about in your kind of submission was that sandwich generation, right? Of like, I'm taking care of children and I'm taking care of older parents. And that's sort of the ways in which women are socially kind of constrained to be the caretakers, be the nurturers, et cetera. And I'm sort of curious how you see that kind of like coming up in your clientele potentially, and how you think coaching can help people who are in that situation and are kind of feeling drained and pulled in so many different directions
2: yeah I mean, it definitely comes up for my clientele. I mean, it's not an experience I've had, obviously, but so many of the women that come to me, they're actually coming to me to learn how to start running so that they can carve out just a tiny little bit of space for themselves mm. between kids who are, you know, not quite old enough to leave the nest and taking care of of aging parents. I think they, feel like they actually have to do all the things and of course, take care of the spouse as well. And I think they end up feeling pretty trapped. And so, yeah, it's definitely a big issue, at least for women in the population that I coach for sure.
1: And how do you think coaching can kind of help them move through that?
2: Yeah. I think it's like, First of all, unpacking the stereotype of like, okay, I'm the woman, I'm the mom, so I have to take care of everybody and recognizing that like a lot of that is socialization. And especially when you have teenage kids, like they're pretty self-sufficient. <laughs>
1: like, You're like, they're taking ships to America by themselves.
2: Um, they're fine. It's like They're fine. Right. <laughs> and then also like, and I think Karen, you probably see a ton of this is I need to take care of my parents, but also I have this really fraught relationship with, you know, with my mom or with maybe both of my parents. And so, yeah, I think like thought work can help diffuse some of those thoughts about, you know, my parent not respecting me or parents probably better to, to speak to that, but coaching is like super powerful in that way.
1: I'm not, I'm not elucidating this very well. I think it's, I mean, I think that coaching helps, can help women deprogram that caretaking thing. Right. It's like, thank you. Yes. That goes also to the phases of life. It's like, okay, when you're young, your value is sexual. And then when you're middle-aged now, right. It's like the archetypes of like the virgin or the new wife, whatever. And now, and then the mother, and then like, now your value is taking care of everybody. Certainly nobody wants to fuck you anymore. So now you got to take care of everybody, especially if you have like, stepped off the career escalator to raise your children or you are no longer like at some kind of, you know, at a job where you base your value on like, and so I think part of what coaching can do is help people decondition some of that programming that like they have to kind of justify their existence, especially for the kind of subgroup of women with economic privilege who have stopped working or who are working less or who, whatever, where the spouse, the breadwinner, I think women in that situation, which again is obviously not everybody. Have even more of that, like, well, you know, I'm not bringing home the money, so like I mm-hmm. have to take care of everything and I have to take care of everyone, and that's like how I'm valuable or worthwhile or like allowed to exist
3: i I do work with a lot of women who have elderly mothers who they don't like or in some cases hate, and the guilt that they feel, the common the very typical you know they present with is you know either I do everything for her. And feel resentful, or I do nothing, or I have my boundaries and I feel guilt. Like that's the resentment, guilt, resentment, guilt. Which one do I choose? It's the only, those are, those are my only two choices. And for a long time, I would coach people around that in terms of thoughts. And I've come to a place where I teach sometimes, depending on the person, if the choice is between guilt and resentment, choose guilt. Mm. And just like being able to be with yourself when you feel guilt, right? And to recognize that, you know, the earth isn't going to swallow you, you know, open up and swallow you whole if you feel guilty. It's just like there doesn't prove anything about you that you feel guilt. Whereas on the other hand, resentment can really fuck with you. And ultimately, even when a mother or a woman, you know, maybe doesn't really love her mother all that much or doesn't really care about her mother, but feels this obligation to care for her. She doesn't want to be mean to her mother, but she doesn't include herself in the kindness that she extends, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. And so, you know, my coaching in that is always, and this is always, it's all about boundaries, but is in including yourself in whatever it is you're extending to the other person, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, because the resentment will have them not showing up in a way that they don't like or respect. Right. So it's more for them than it is their mothers, but it works for both. Yeah, I think that's a
1: great point. Elizabeth, you wanted to get in here also?
3: Yeah, well, what I was going to say
0: is actually exactly what Karen was saying, which is what I do a lot with my coaching is help my clients renegotiate boundaries because they've spent so much of their life taking care of their partner, taking care of the kids, doing for all these other people. and. Than having the expectation that they're also going to be taking care of their parent, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're getting squished from all sides and they are so deathly afraid of saying, No, that I can't do this. You know, Jill said teenagers are very self sustaining. I had a client who was making freaking four dinners for her partner and her two kids and herself. And I was like, Why are you doing that? Like, (laughs) and it was because. Well, they need me to do it. And It's like, no, they don't. But she was so afraid of doing for herself and setting up that boundary that they wouldn't love her anymore or that she wouldn't be relevant to them or needed to them anymore. And right, because so, that's what women
1: are socialized to believe their value is in like being needed in that way, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And so, like, when we can create those boundaries and do it from a place of self love and then we can actually take care of ourselves in the process. And so I think that a lot of midlife is really renegotiating our relationships that we have with ourselves, with our partner, with our children, with our parents, all of that because we're growing into this different version of ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what's coming to mind for me is I think this sort of works to bring it all together, but it's that like one of this big, the big mistakes we are always making right is that we think our circumstances cause our thoughts. So it's like, well, Because I have elderly parents, because I have kids, because I have whatever I like, have to be this way. This is how it has to be. They need me to act the way I'm acting, right? Like, that's what's causing it. And this is making me reflect on the fact that, like, one of the reasons that I chose not to have children was that when I imagined taking care of children, I imagined having to be this, like, completely different person who was, like, selfless and who was, like, doing everything for them, et cetera, et cetera. And then I ended up in the situation where I partnered with somebody who has children and I, you know, I'm not their step parent, but I'm like, I don't know, involved. Like, I'm around them and I'm participating, and they're young enough. So you can't really spend a lot of time with them and not be parenting to some degree, you know, when it's happening. And as we're having the conversation, I'm realizing, like, oh, but actually, that's not how it's turned out because I'm me and I have like my own way of being. That's how I'm showing up as a parent, too. Right. Because I didn't come into this with this idea of like, oh, I'm picking this role and I have to be this role. And that's where my worth and value comes from. So, I don't know if this is making sense, but it's sort of like, I think we always blame it on the role when in fact, of course, it's mm-hmm. our thoughts about like how we are supposed to be that or perform that. And that as it's turned out, since I just started experiencing part of this, I'm just still me. Like I talk to kids the way that I talk, you know, it's a little different, but like, I, it's not like I have transformed into some totally different person or need to in order to still have a like even caretaking relationship. So I feel like that's just sort of such a good example of how there's actually a million ways to have these relationships, to take care of a parent, to take care of your kids, to be a woman in midlife, to whatever it is. And it's not caused by those circumstances. It, it all is your behaviors flowing from your conceptualization of the role, the time in your life, whatever it is, right? Like you can make it whatever you want. I feel like that was a good... <laughs> just like kind of wrapped it up. Why don't you all tell people where they can find you if they want to learn more? We have three very different niches here on on this podcast. I got like something for everybody. You want to go alphabetically again, Elizabeth, you want to start? Sure. You can find me
0: on the interwebs at (laughs) elizabethsherman.com. That was a very midlife
1: thing to say, Elizabeth, the interwebs.
0: Oh, I just date myself. (laughs) I also host a podcast called "Done with Dieting." You can find me on Instagram at eSherman68 and Total Health by Eliz on Facebook. I need to like
1: combine those all. Yeah, we need so that. We need some standardization there. Yeah, I
0: know. Someone's cringing right now.
2: So yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Not Your Average Runner. You can find me at notyouraveragerunner.com. dot com. You can find my podcast. Also called creatively not your average runner <laughs> and on Facebook as not your average runner.
1: <laughs> Got
3: good brand cohesion. It's pretty the way. consistent. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> what about you, Karen?
3: Yeah, I'm pretty consistent as well. My website is KCLanderson.com. All the social media is kclanderson. I just hopped on the TikTok bandwagon. Yeah, hopped on the TikTok. I hopped on the TikTok and I'm actually having a lot of fun doing these fun little videos, which leads into my podcast, which you can find in all the places and it's called Dear Adult Daughter. Love it. And if you are listening to this, I was about to say like, if you're in midlife, but I
1: actually feel like at any stage, if you want a concrete takeaway, it's like, go write down all your thoughts about what it means to be middle-aged or to be in midlife. And if you're in that phase of your life, especially like, what are all the beliefs you have about this stage of your life and what it has to be like, or what it means to be a middle-aged woman and start working through those. If you're in the clutch, bring them to ask the coaches or the Facebook group, or your one-to-one coach. If you're doing this solo, like use the tools you learned in this podcast, but don't let a certain time in your life define for you what your life is supposed to look like. All right. Thank you, my friends, my chickens. I'll talk to you next week. Okay, y'all, how amazing were those women, and how incredible is that conversation? If you recognized yourself in the thought patterns that we talked about and things came up for you that you want to work on, make sure you are on the waitlist for the clutch. Text your email to plus one three four seven nine three four eight eight six one. That's plus one three four seven nine three four eight eight six one, and you will get put on the waitlist. Or go to unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash clutch. The clutch is my monthly feminist coaching community and program. And that is where you learn how to actually recognize the ways that what you were taught by society are impacting you and how to rewire your brain so that you can believe something different. And so that no matter how much life you have left, which none of us truly knows how long we'll be here, you can live out loud on purpose with intention and to the fullest because that's really all that we can do with our one wild and precious life as mary oliver says i'll see you guys there